What is the San Francisco match? Why choose the field of ophthalmology? What is it like to have a patient wide awake during surgery? And finally, what type of subspecialties are available in ophthalmology? Today on Talking Missions and Med Student Life, I interview Tina, our recently matched fourth-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Okay, well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Got a great de- guest today, Tina. Hello. I'm so glad you came on. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. So, fourth-year student, right? Fourth-year student. And what are you going into? I am officially, now I can say officially, going into ophthalmology. Congratulations, so, because you, Chan. there is an early match for that. Correct. All right, so let's, let's break this down. So, first of all, why opto? What attracted you to opto? Why opto? Great question, and one that took me many years to answer. Um I like opto because I realized I'm more of a procedure person than I thought. I like being in the OR, kind of an OR junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the thought of fixing things with my hands, so procedurally, but didn't quite think general surgery was for me. So that's part of ophthalmology, but you also have a clinical side of ophthalmology, too. So you really don't forego either surgery or clinic time. You can kind of do it all, and I think that was the biggest attraction for me. Um, beyond that, uh, it's a narrow field, so very subspecialized, which I think doesn't work for all brains. Some people like that broad-based mm-hmm. knowledge. I like depth and sort of narrow focus. Uh, so I like kind of being the end expert on something, the end referral, um, and really, really thought that was an appealing option for me. I also didn't want to forego those long-term relationships that you have with patients. And mm-hmm. as an ophthalmologist, uh, Many of the people I shadowed have seen these patients for 20, 30, 40 years. So I also like that aspect. I felt like ophthalmology really gave me everything mm-hmm. that I was looking for. So, um, and that combined with research, the whole sure. thing. Really well, what was your research in? So I have done research. I did research in between undergrad and medical school for a full year as a full-time mm-hmm. job. So I kind of continued that research in ophthalmology, um, looking at diabetic retinopathy, looking okay. at macular degeneration, all sorts of different things. And so there's a ton of research available in the ophthalmology world, as there are in many other fields. I don't think that's unique to opto, but um, given the Moran Eye Center and how close it is here, mm-hmm. it is very easy to delve into this crazy world of research here at the U. Very true. Now, when I went to medical school here many years ago. Many moons ago. YouTube was just kind of starting to take off, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. the internets, all that. And I just remember some of my classmates were looking at opto procedures on YouTube. And, like, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot. Of, it's scary and how much I, stuff is out there. And I'm not sure how that fits into patient confidentiality or whatnot. I think they kind of blur everything. But yeah, there's some amazing stuff out there. Did you look at that stuff at all? Would you, I mean, is that kind of like, like, wow, like I want to do this kind of thing or? Yeah. I don't know if I looked at YouTube videos as much as maybe I should have used Because opposed to general surgery where you really can't get the camera in the field, right. ophthalmology, you can just stick a camera right there and you see almost everything. It's so, great. Well, yeah. because everything, almost everything is through a microscope. So mm-hmm. you do have that ability to really capture everything. And if you sit in an OR in a 
if the general surgeon, if it's not a laparoscopic procedure, you don't see anything. If you sit in the OR in ophthalmology as a student, you get to see everything because it's projected on a big screen. You mm-hmm. basically see what the surgeon sees. So I think having just sat in the OR, not necessarily on YouTube, but you see what's projected on the screen, you see what's recorded because it's all through a camera and the microscope. And mm-hmm. that actually helps you as a student understand more what the procedure is than if you're kind of a student shadowing in a general surgeon's OR. Mm-hmm. You don't really get to see too much unless you're right in it with them. This is um, very true. So I, I like that. And you have to get used to looking through a microscope. You have to kind of like that fine detailed mm-hmm. surgery versus kind of the big sawing and ortho type stuff mm-hmm. or the big delving like you do in general surgery. And I remember because I did an opthro rotation back yeah. in the day. And I remember that one of the big differences, at least this is what I noticed, you probably have noticed this, is that in almost every other surgery, the patient is under general anesthesia. Yes. But in opto, they're awake. Yes. So let's talk about that. So that's it. I, I don't know how I feel about that yeah, still. And yeah. it depends on who you talk to, actually, because mm-hmm. the things that are said, I don't know, in a, in a general surgeon, there's a lot of teaching. You can say mm-hmm. a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they really explain the procedure. Sometimes they play music. Sometimes in, they in the play OR. music. People don't know that, but sometimes there is like classical music being played. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. studies have shown that surgeons sometimes, you know, do better with that kind of music. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And sometimes there's discussions, there's teaching. Mm-hmm. but. That is when the patient is completely out. Correct. Out. But in ophthalmology, I just remember very clearly, oh, the patients are awake and it's just like, just like silence. And I just wonder if that makes it more anxiety-provoking. What do you think, Tina? So I think it's it's interesting. It is anxiety-provoking, especially with you as a student playing a role. Um, you almost feel, I don't know, more concerned being present there because the patient is aware of everything, aware of the teaching that's going on. You can't answer, ask questions necessarily mm-hmm. as freely because you're worried about saying, oh, mm-hmm. well, what what just happened there? Because the patient's going to go, oh, what just happened there? All those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But I do know um, they do still play music in the OR, which okay. helps. Um, does, so, the, does the patient get a choose? The patient does not get a choose. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen that. Maybe I'll put that in my practice. That is a million dollar idea for your future I practice. Like that. Yeah, you they they come in, they can pick the lighting, the the music. Yeah. We yeah. should do maybe like a research study about that, mm-hmm. like patient satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to work on this. Yeah, all right, you do that. I'm so. going to work on this. But yeah, usually it's surgeon's choice, so uh depending on who you are, yeah, some people like the classical stuff. A lot of people do classic rock over at Moran. I don't know if that's just mm-hmm. the the personality that seems mm-hmm. to be over there. but um, So they still kind of make it, um, I don't know, less of a quiet, silent environment. But. And the reason the patient has to be awake is because they have to look at the light. They right? have to look at the light. They, they have to focus. Their mm-hmm. eye has to be right in the middle. Correct. If not, and I'm pretty sure like your eye would just kind of drift to the back of your head, right? Yeah. that's when you sleep. Well, you don't have real no control. So, yeah. Well, and that too, they, they actually, it's more of like they get to avoid general anesthesia as much as possible. Okay. So in addition to the fact that, yes, it helps that they can actually focus on the light, it's also just a lot safer, especially in this patient yeah. population, which is a, a lot of times an older patient population, a lot of comorbidities, other issues with the 80 and 90-year-olds that are getting cataract surgery. Not mm-hmm. all of the procedures of their coarser in that age group, but a lot of them are. And so being able to mm. get around general anesthesia is also extremely helpful. Um, so if they need to, you can actually block, do a nerve block in the eye, 
Mm. And and that enables the eye to just be paralyzed straightforward. And they can do that for more intense retinal procedures or if the patient has a hard time focusing on the light, other things like that. But really, it's a matter of avoiding general anesthesia okay. in these cases, which mm. is a huge because there's, neg- there's like yeah, there's negative risks associated with general anesthesia. Absolutely, yeah. and mm. and so being able to just sort of bypass that entirely is is huge for these these mm-hmm. patients. So and plus, they're 20 minute procedures usually if there's no complications. Um, some of the retinal stuff goes longer, of course, and that again requires a nerve block. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's quick procedures. If you're doing cataracts, if you're doing LASIK procedures, the patients are awake. They wake up feeling better. They don't really have any side effects of general anesthesia. And and I think I like that a lot about mm-hmm. even though they're awake. And it's it's interesting to have that perspective when the patient hears everything going on in the OR. So during third year, would you have your ophthalmoscope in your pocket and even if it's like, you know, internal medicine or peds, and after the team left the room, would you whip it out and like, just take a look at your eyes real quick? Were you doing that? Were you that dedicated? Or what was going on? Oh, man. I'm going to, like, incriminate myself here and say that I didn't even buy an ophthalmoscope. Don't oh, tell my gosh. anyone, Dr. Oh, my Chan. Gosh. Yes. Apparently, okay. you used to have to do that now. Mm-hmm. Now I just I steal when I can. Okay. Um, but I have to say that every time I did on any medicine rotation get an exciting ophthalmology patient, I would stick around and stock mm. until the, the ophthalmology resident Looking for the Kaiser around. Fleischer rings. Looking for Kaiser Fleischer oh, rings. God, Wilson, that, Wilson's disease. All that copper Step depositing. one board prep question for all those med students doing that out there. <laughs> Which They're I never saw. Copper. Never saw. Oh, okay. Well, you will one day. But I will one day. Yeah, um, lo- yeah no. Every chance I got to kind of stock the ophthalmology residents that would come around to do consults, I would do that. I wasn't quite as dedicated in forcing all my patients mm-hmm. to let me look at their retina as they were sitting there, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe I would encourage my classmates to do that. All right. Well, let's talk about more ophthalmology. So how long a program is it, the residency? Okay. So program is four years, well, three, and then your intern year, of course. So intern year mm-hmm. is a prelim year or transition year could be a prelim year could be a transition year they allow you to do prelim medicine or prelim surgery Um, so you really have a lot of flexibility in terms of what you want to get out of your intern year do you Mm -hmm. want it to be a rigorous medicine year do you Mm -hmm. want to be more of a surgeon for that year or do you want to kind of take a lighter route enjoy some things before you really delve um there are two programs of which Moran is one, and I think is a great, uh, great asset to Moran that have a sort of combined intern year in which you do mostly a medicine prelim year, but you actually have four months of ophthalmology. Transition year, so you, you, so three year program, three year program of just ophthalmology, just usually. ophthalmology okay. usually. Fellowships. Let's talk fellowships because what I love about ophthalmology, the eye is not. It's not. A big enough organ. You can still specialize. So let's subspecialize. What are the different fields? So different fields. It's, yeah, people are always surprised to know that there are a ton of fellowships. And I have to go through and count how many there are. But you have a huge number of opportunities for fellowship after you do your general ophthalmology residency. Um, Everything from retina, which is you can do medical retina. You can do surgical retina. Mm -hmm. um, You can do cornea. You can do um, everything like neuro-ophthalmology, which would sort of take you out of the OR. You can do... Um, a whole, a whole host of things, mm-hmm. infectious opto, things like that. Are these usually one year or two year? Or how long are these? Depends. So okay. most are one year. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do oculofacial plastics, which some other people don't realize that that's uh, you can actually get two kind of facial plastics through ophthalmology. That that's, sounds like a hot, hot field. It is a hot field. Yeah. It is awesome. Yeah. I love oculofacial plastics. We actually have some great programs here, a couple of great fellowships here in oculofacial plastics. But um, that one is two years. Um, a couple of the surgical retinas are two years. Mm-hmm. Most are one, though. Um, and you... 
you yeah come out getting even more surgically specialized or medically specialized depending on what you choose, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great. And you can also do, and it depends on what program you end up for residency, though, you can just do general ophthalmology after four years mm-hmm. or three years of residency in an intern year, which many people do. You come out trained as a cataract surgeon, um, trained in some other small things like pterygia removal, and you can make an entire ophthalmology career out of just doing general ophthalmology. And many, many, I would say probably 50% of graduates coming out of ophthalmology residency will choose that path and not subspecialize beyond that. Can you do a super subspecialization right retina versus left retina? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that one may be coming down not, the pipeline. Not yet? Okay. I okay. only specialize in the, the, left, left, the, the left, left cornea versus the right cornea. Guess, yeah, maybe if your uh, hand, depending on which hand we're I, I, I don't know. You can always go smaller. So. <laughs> Like the vitreous humor, special. I don't. Know, I, don't I don't know how. Yeah, aqueous humor. Yeah, Aqu- yeah, yeah. only oh. aqueous humor. Well, that would be like an anterior segment. I mean, there's okay, okay. It's very, very subspecialized. Okay. You can keep it general if you mm-hmm. want. Uh, I will encourage uh, maybe the the department to consider a right versus left eye. I training. want you to pitch it. Maybe we'll we'll work that out. Okay, too. so let's let's back up. Let's talk about the match. Let's talk about the match. Ophthalmology is an early match. Correct. What does that mean? Correct. Why? Yeah. So yeah. Great question. Um, I'm not sure that I can address the why aspect. Tradition. Tradition. There we go. That's, that's Momentum. What I, because that's how it's always been, yeah. which is a terrible answer, but yeah. that's the only reason I need I to know. get the person, the ophthalmologist from many years ago who made that decision. I'm not sure who that person is, but we'll find out. So, okay. So early match. Early match. Uh, match occurs in January. So that second week in January as opposed to the traditional match, which occurs in March. Uh, okay. What that means in terms of being a third year or fourth year medical school student is that you need to be ahead of the game in terms of preparing your application. Mm-hmm. Um, my application and most ophthalmology applications go in in August. Okay, the wow. deadline, it opens in August and the deadlines are not until October. However, if you get your application in in October, and I can't speak for everyone, but uh, I, I do know that you missed some opportunities there. So really what I've been instructed to, even though there's no hard and fast sort of, this is the first time you need to get your application in, but based on, again, maybe tradition and the, the sagely knowledge of the residents um, and faculty that I've been in contact with is you get your application in really second, third week in August. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit earlier, again, than the regular match. Uh, and and that means you interview just a little bit earlier, but the interview season may, mostly goes um, late September, October, November, and then early December. By, I would say, the second, third week in December, most of those interviews are done. Mm-hmm. You turn in your rank list uh, first week in January, January 5th, okay. and then you uh, match a week later. Okay. So let's talk about that. Let's break it down. So your interview days, are interview they days. are they like really large? Because I know a lot of programs mm-hmm. that are competitive, which ophthalmology is. Let's mm-hmm. just all say it. It's competitive. They tend to have like these – like there's only like four or five interview days. Right. And like they – Tend Absolutely. to have a lot of people or not? Like, how many people were at your interview days? So, yeah, it depends on the on the program. So, most opto programs are either two at the smallest or seven, eight at the largest in terms of the number of residents mm-hmm. each year that they have. And I found that most places I went would have ten to fifteen applicants per one position available okay. for that that interview day. Mm-hmm. And most programs, just like you said, would have two or three max interview days. Some okay. only oh. interviewed on one. Mm-hmm. So, and so is the, there any coordination among them or do they do some of them say a, like 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 Wednesday December 3rd? Yep. 
like two or three programs have that's their interview day. So you have to pick and choose. Do they do that? They do do that, oh unfortunately. And wow. I think that was the the biggest frustration amongst uh, applicants on the trail that I that I spoke with is that you could have – there was one – for some reason, one Friday in November where there were probably five programs that were offering interviews on that day. And that mm. was maybe one or two days uh, that they were offering and you had to really choose. So I had to, actually had to cancel an interview on that day to interview at another program and that ends up crossing one off your list. If you're lucky enough, you can move it. But there's – But if you cancel, it's kind of like a sign to them like you're not – that interested in that program and they they kind of take that into account it can be absolutely and they know that other programs are interviewing and i'm sure they know what other programs are interviewing Mm -hmm. that day and so that's where the kind of finesse in this this Mm -hmm. process comes into play because they they don't coordinate necessarily i think they try to to maximize the number of applicants but if you want to go to a program you will make it to their interview day and Mm -hmm. that's sort of how they feel and if not they will fill your spot Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of grueling in that respect. Mm-hmm. I will say, however, you know that that gives the impression that maybe they're feeling like they would treat you on a day that you were there for interview, like they could replace you or those sorts of things. And I know um, for those of you heading to medical school, it can tend to feel that way. Yeah. You know that you're just sort of a number being shuffled through all this, but actually on your interview days, you are treated excellently, mm-hmm. and that was universal. So even though it's sort of like you want to be here, you'll make your you make your schedule so that you can get here. Mm-hmm. Um, they they treat you very well. They value your time. They know how hard you work to get there. They know, you know, that you may have canceled a program day to come and be with them. And so they are very respectful of that, which I okay. found to be really nice. I've always wanted to ask this. Do you feel in an ophthalmology interview to join the residency program, they put a higher emphasis on greater eye contact? I do. Okay. I don't know. I mean – I guess I don't have any basis for saying that, but I do think in any sort of interview situation, okay. regardless of where you're at, I think eye contact is huge. I know, but like I will <laughs> say, you know, the eye contact is uh-huh. it's probably important. I think they're probably analyzing things. Yeah. If you've got cool corneas, if you've got cool iris stuff, they're probably going to find that. Because again, sometimes I go into deep dives <laughs> into these websites, and like sometimes people like because you know people can change the color of their eyes. They can. But sometimes people put different contact colors oh, in. Gosh. And they look like cats or I don't know. So I don't know. I don't know if that is a tactic. I don't know. Yeah. What do I, you think about this? I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I have very boring brown eyes. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that hurt me or not. But if one it of your eyes is like like candy apple red and mm-hmm. another was like blue. I think you I may. I think you would stand out. Maybe not in a would. good way. Right. Yeah, they yeah. may be worried mm-hmm. and kind of washing their hands a little bit if yeah. they saw that. They oh. may be. If you show up to an interview for ophthalmology having pink eye, having pink eye, conjunctivitis, spreading viral oh, conjunctivitis oh, yeah. through the, I think goop. they would, they would be all about that. Yeah. So, as a side note, I got young kids at home, like, uh, and uh, when they get conjunctivitis, there is nothing worse than a parent trying to hold down your kid and give them eye drops. Oh, it's it's, no. it's nasty. I mean, I. Go big pharma. I love how you've made most medications like liquid and you put little flavors in them like grape or bubble gum. But big eye drop, you need to get on this because it it takes like two or three adults to force a kid's eye open and they're screaming. And yeah. So another research project, Dr. Future Dr. Tina. You Let's need to, do it. Yeah. Bubblegum yeah. smelling eye, eye drops. drops. <laughs> I think perfect. This is the, I've got a list now. Or list of things. if you get because I have a daughter, if you can somehow convince her that her eyes would look like Anna or Elsa from Frozen, yeah. she would probably like administer the eye drops herself. Yeah. I think 
that's yeah. that's a good way is like maybe get Disney involved yes. or something. Mm-hmm. But that our our awesome so another fellowship is our awesome pediatric ophthalmologist who that's, yeah. seem to somehow be able to put Mickey Mouse in their ophthalmoscope and that I think that actually works wonders. They're amazing. I don't know if I could do it. Great but. idea. All right. So you matched here at the U. I did. Big spoiler alert. All right. Big spoiler alert. So how did you find out? How did you, like, how do you find out in the early match? Cause like normal match, we do the whole envelope yes. and there's the red ribbon cutting and there's that, that moment of anticipation. Yeah. How do you find out in the early match? Yeah. So it's a little different for us. Um, we do get, so at, I believe it was five o'clock. So six o'clock Western West coast time. Uh, you get an email from the this early match process is called the San Francisco match. Not important. That's just where we match. Uh, that's who administers mm-hmm. the ophthalmology match. You get an email from them at 5 a.m., which is great. You sleep a lot the night before, um, that says matched, not matched. Mm-hmm. That's it. It just says that in the email. That's all it says. Does, it even say, does that the subject line? That, that is not the subject line. That would be terrible. I don't even remember what the subject line is because okay. you just furiously open this email. Yeah. Um, or, or not so furiously, I don't know. Um, so they send out that email to everyone. They send out that email to everyone. Everyone who applied to ophthalmology. Everyone okay. who applied to ophthalmology gets that match, not match okay. at the same time in the, in the whole country. And then at that point, your program has that day to contact you. Now, it's up to each program how they do that. Some have the program director call you. Some have the kind of coordinator email you. Totally depends. Um, I know most programs or a lot of the ones that I looked at would tell you that you, w- you would get a phone call. And you would get a phone call most likely from the program director, so the person mm-hmm. who's kind of the head of all of this. And that phone call can come anytime on that day after you've received that email. So in my brain, I'm thinking of ways that this can be problematic. What if one of your friends decides to prank you oh God. And, and they know you matched – and they just decide to call you at 6 a.m. and pretend to be, like, the program director from blank school. What's to prevent them from doing that? There is other than nothing. You, other, other than you exacting your justice upon that said friend I later. I was going to say, yeah. careful choice in friends okay, here. Knowing right, you will actually, the people around you will know how fragile you are at this very oh, moment. Okay, okay. And I think they will probably willingly choose to just absolutely okay. stay away from this right. because – um, I think we all reached that point, and I think the the remainder of my classmates who are now going through this close to the match kind of time period is you reach a very fragile okay. state, and maybe mm-hmm. I'll defer to our, our child psychiatrist in the room to uh, I, I don't to have that hat on right now. Into yeah. the, into the, uh, <laughs> the need to uh, do pranks on one another. The struggle <laughs> and the fragileness of your character at that time. Okay. So, all right. uh, so a lot of people... Uh, uh, so, so how did Moran contact you? So Moran, uh, I got a, a nice text message and phone call from our program director uh, okay. quite early in the morning. Okay, which was cool. was wonderful. All right. Um, you sort of sit by your phone and you anticipate kind of – some people got crazy and said, oh, have the area codes of the schools you're interested in memorized so that you know if they're calling. I don't know if okay. I would go that far. Okay. Um, my top three, I sort of knew which which area codes I would be looking for. Okay, all right. And when that 801 called, I was very, very excited. All right. So, for those who don't know, 801 is the Utah. 801 area. is Utah. Yeah. Um, so excited to stay. That's oh what I'm hearing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. It's, right. it's surreal. But Moran was my number one, so okay. I was extremely, extremely lucky. I don't think I'm allowed to ask you that, but since you volunteered it. Oh, okay. Get, I'm volunteering uh, that knowledge yes, for you. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of these fine lines, which I think are good around mm-hmm. – 
the rank and, and how you kind of put your matches together. But yes, Moran was number one. Sure, great. I've been pretty open about that. And, and how many of you are there? How many do they take a year? So this is an interesting year for Moran. There actually have been three historically, mm-hmm. um, and this year they took four. Four which is, is exciting. Is that going to continue? That's going to continue. Okay, so they're at four. They are. I, at four I certainly now. think there's enough work and there's yes. enough teaching opportunities. Yeah. And the great thing about it is, some people were like, "Oh, is that going to decrease your surgical numbers?" The answer is no. There was a ton of work for our our. Um, residents and, and a, just a ton of call work and they were finding mm-hmm. it overwhelming. So I think the, the addition of the fourth is going to be great uh, mm-hmm. for me and my training. So I'm pretty excited about that. Great. And where did you go to undergrad? Uh, I went to Northwestern. So I was in Chicago for undergrad. Oh, okay. Because I was, I was going to ask you, so you're not quite the trifecta, you know, undergrad, med school, right. and residency in the same location. No. So any, you know, again, like since you ranked this place number one, yeah. I, you kind of came to that decision. But any thoughts about staying in the same place uh, for residency where you went to med school? Any yeah. hesitation or – I mean you have your – you live in the same place I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. You okay. live in the same place. I think the, the positives are certainly uh, – you know, one, I had developed a fairly close relationship with Moran as mm-hmm. have most ophthalmology students here um, and I think most students here in whatever respective field they're choosing. And so you kind of go in knowing what you're getting yourself into. You know the residents. You know the faculty. You also know the hospital that you're going to be consulting at. You know the hospital you're going to be doing your intern year at. And mm-hmm. I think that familiarity is, is extremely helpful in calming some terrifying nerves that mm-hmm. are kind of building up now um, as you delve into this new chapter. Uh, hesitation, certainly. There's There's good and bad to everything. I was excited to maybe be branching out and going somewhere else. I loved going to a different place for undergrad and then returning for medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are certainly good and, and bad. And I think people who stayed here for that whole time, some of my other um, ophthalmology comrades who stayed were a little more hesitant to, mm-hmm. I think, the trifecta. around for yeah. the trifecta. And yeah. so they actually ended up going elsewhere. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they had been here so mm-hmm. long and were looking to branch out. So certainly I think that that plays a, a role mm-hmm. um, into this process is if you've been here the whole time, you realize how great the U is, you want to kind of branch out okay. versus wanting to stay. All right. We got a couple more minutes left, Tina. Okay. So last couple of questions. So uh, – you're speaking to incoming first years Great. who may or may not be interested in ophthalmology. Yay. What advice do you give them? What do you say to them? So, if I, you can go back, what would you say to yourself back. three, four years ago? Yeah. You know, in terms of picking what you want to do with your life, who you want to be when you grow up, I think the biggest advice that I could give that helped me out the most in, in being 100% confident that I chose the right specialty, um, having matched now, is to stay open mm-hmm. to things. So I initially thought I had tunnel visioned into ophthalmology and then I actually swung into left field and thought I was going to do pediatrics for a while and then sort of jumped into this general surgery world for a while. Mm-hmm. So I was all over the place. And I think in doing that, I came back to ophthalmology knowing full well that I had given everything else a chance and really delved into each of those other fields. Mm. Um, And had I not done that, I don't know that I would be as confident as I am that ophthalmology is right for me. So if you kind of tunnel vision in, you say, I'm going to do ophtho on your P's rotation, you're like, I don't want to do this on your surgery rotation. You kind of check out. I think you lose so much of what medical school has to offer. Those rotations are incredible and life changing. Um, and really delving into each thing as if that's what you're going to do for your life and giving mm-hmm. that a real chance is so invaluable to the rest of your training, no matter where you end up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that would be that would be my hindsight and the thing that I'm happiest that I did really is 
I know that ophthalmology is for me because I sort of went into everything else saying this is what I'm going to do and then ruled it out based on that. And um, had I not done that, I might have questioned, you know, maybe peds was for me, maybe general surgery was for me. And um, I think you want to be as sure as you can in this in this position. And being open as long as you can is a great way to do that. Cool. Well, Tina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm going to track you down next year and get a fall. I'm just curious to see how yeah. you know, the, it starts. And then I'm going to kind of talk about the music idea for pe- patients to choose. Hey, I'm making a list. So the music Yeah, these the are billion-dollar ideas. Bubblegum yeah. frozen eye drops for kids. Yes. And Every parent out there knows what I'm talking about. They're, just, like, they're nodding like, oh, yes, giving eye drops I to kids is really hard. You will get credit yeah. for all of these ideas. Don't you worry. We'll call them like – the, the Chan Tina, drop. Uh, we'll think of something. Moran, I'll work yeah, on it. Yeah, I'll Moran, how you get involved somehow? Yeah, <laughs> I cool. need to come do this more often. I need research yep. ideas. This is perfect. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Tina. All right. Thanks, Dr. Chan. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.